Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And in today's episode, we are talking about how individual healthcare practitioners or healthcare companies, hospitals, facilities can bridge the gap between technology and patient engagement, which is sometimes a bit of an oxymoron, using tech to engage your patients. Usually we think we want to have a person-to-person contact, but it is possible to leverage technology to our advantage when we're engaging with our patients. So my guest today to talk us through all of this is Lisa Blue. She is the Chief Clinical Innovation Officer with Provider Tech and collaborates with her team to develop and implement technology solutions that address the complexity of scaling patient engagement while improving operational efficiencies. Lisa is an RN with clinical experience ranging from acute care to federally qualified healthcare centers giving her the ability to effectively translate and improve healthcare workflows. She is an enthusiastic population health leader who believes that doing healthcare differently is better and possible. So big thanks to Lisa uh, for sharing all of her knowledge with us today. And of course, a big thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in week after week. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on today to talk about that intersection between patient engagement and tech and how tech can actually help patient engagement, which I think is a big misconception that it makes things worse. But we'll talk about all that. I'm happy to have you here. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Okay. So when we talk about well, let's let's put some definitions to some of these terms, right? So when we talk about patient engagement, what how do you define that? Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction because I think it changes in different settings. Basically, patient engagement in the most simple form is just the patient responding in the way that we expect them to respond. If we're reaching out to them because we want to re-engage them in care, maybe they just had an acute care episode and we want to get them connected, reconnected to primary care, their response is uh, a sign of their engagement. And so based on what we're asking them to do, maybe the call to action is to call us, maybe it's to respond to a text. And so any of those things can be uh, can meet the criteria for patient engagement. And then when we're talking about technology and certainly technology in healthcare, that can really run wild, right? So yes. in your experience, in your day-to-day, when you're speaking about technology, as it relates to patient engagement, what are you talking about there? Yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. In healthcare, we all use a lot of different technology, much of which... Uh, can be can complicate our days <laughs> more than help us. Um, and so I think that also really matters when you think about patient engagement. It has to be something that's easy for users, both those of us on the clinical end of the picture, but also for patients. It ha- if we're asking people, patients, anyone to do something, it has to be easy for them to do it, right? And so sometimes, you know, we, we've all heard of patient portals, 
Um, the the challenge with patient portals is often they can be they can be a bit clunky. They can be hard to log into. I can't remember my password. Um, once I get in there, maybe there's so much information I don't know, you know, how how to even navigate through it. And so it has to be. Um, you know, when you're thinking about it, the the most simple solution um, is is usually the best solution to to get the information that you desire to get to that patient and allow them to access it easily. Yeah, and I hear a lot from my patients like, "Oh, I can, oh, I did get that test back. It's in that portal." But wait, I forget what I forgot what my password is. Or then once they're in there, they're like, "Wait, what do I click on?" How right. do I find this result? How come it's not right in the forefront? Like, shouldn't it be first? So I definitely hear that a lot. And that can be very frustrating for a patient. And so as we talk about the frustrations around some technology, could that disengage patients? And they could just throw their hands up and say, I'm going to a different doctor. I, I absolutely think it can. I, I had a, a, a colleague one time, we were talking about this idea of patient portals. And so there's actually been some interesting data on the uptake of use in patient portals. So obviously during the pandemic, we really needed to use patient portals because we couldn't see our providers face-to-face. And so it, I think, probably did um, help with some of that adoption. But even some of the EHRs that have, the, I would say, the most savvy patient portals, um, meaning they have least of those issues that we were just describing, the adoption rates are still pretty low. And so uh, my colleague and I were talking and um, he's a, a middle-aged man. Technology is not a barrier for him. So there, there's none of those challenges that maybe we hear. And um, he talked about getting a message from his uh, primary care provider. And he had a history of um, of skin cancer. And so he had had something that was removed and you know he was like trying to check in and see, you know, what, what were the the findings on that pathology report? And so then he couldn't remember his password and then he had to reset the password and then it went into spam and then he could, you know, and so now like he's calling the office and he's getting more and more anxious. And so an hour now, you know, transpires and what the actual message was, was like some general, like it's time to get your flu vaccine or, or something while probably important, it wasn't what he was anticipating it. And mm-hmm. so he was so frustrated by that experience. And, and I think that's just a, a, a real life illustration of what p- patients often face, right? When, when using tools like that. And so certainly when you have that, um, that anticipation of what you think it's going to be, and it's not, or it's hard to navigate, you could get, you could further uh, remove yourself from wanting to engage or use tools like that in the future. Right. And so that's definitely a challenge of technology and its use in healthcare. So what other challenges have you seen? And then of course, we'll save like the thumbs up, the great parts about uh, technology after that, but let's talk about challenges first. So I think that's a big challenge from Mm -hmm. the patient uh, side. What other challenges have you seen? You know, I think there's there's macro level challenges and micro level challenges. I think some of the the macro level challenges is the lack of interoperability, right? It's it's shocking in 2023 that it can be hard to find information on a patient that you're caring for. If they just had a test, they were just in the hospital, they had lab work, 
You want to look at what medications are on any number of things that could impact your decision-making, your clinical decision-making, how difficult it is to find that information, even in some states. Uh, and, and some states or organizations do it better with um, something that's like a health information exchange. Um, but but even that can, um, again, just like we we're talking about portals, be hard to navigate. And so I think that is um, really a macro level challenge, how all of this information exists for patients and it can still be hard for those that are caring for them to access. And so I think that's something that really um, as, as clinicians and healthcare leaders, we all need to speak about that and be responsible for making that better. However, whether it's within our own organizations or if it's at a policy level, uh, but I think that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And then you know, when I think of some of the challenges at the the more micro level or maybe things we've experienced, it's just um, the the challenge of working with multiple systems in a day, right? You have your electronic health record and maybe you have different things you interface with. Maybe you're logging on to uh, like a an individual lab results thing. You want to check on your patients. And so, you know, multiply that all day long for each patient, I, I think that gets very overwhelming. And when you think of the the challenge for providers, I think um, there there can be even more fatigue and what that looks like at the end of our day. Mm-hmm. Right now, we spend all day with our head in a computer instead of taking care of the patients that are there in front of us. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And as the patient, and you're going to see the practitioner, and they're just typing mm-hmm. away on their computer and looking at you for a second and typing away that again doesn't really help with the engagement part right right because right. you feel like exactly right. is this person hearing me right are, are they, they engaged right are they engaged exactly so it's mm-hmm. not just patient engagement it's it's so true it's also the practitioner engagement it's a two-way street yes. and if one person feels um left out let's say it's, it doesn't make for that good therapeutic connection and alliance and and moving forward can be quite challenging and difficult. Right. You know, I think one other thing that is important to mention is, you know, technology can intimidate people, even in the healthcare system. And so what I've seen in, in my own, you know, before I worked in healthcare IT myself and I was still in a clinical role, um, there was office this um, you know, misconception on like, what is HIPAA and how, what is HIPAA compliant and what is not. And um, I, I worked with the technology leader and, and I sort of his go-to was, well, you know, we can't do that because of HIPAA. And, and you hear that, you hear that in healthcare and, um, you know, certainly being safe and secure and in compliance, very important. Um, but I've also seen even people at decision-making levels using that as sort of the answer to things. Um, and so again, I think it's important to then say, well, what, what about that is not in compliance with HIPAA? Because I, I think that it is, could you help me understand? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that that is important too, because while security matters and you certainly always want to be cognizant of protecting patients' information, we also want to make sure we don't go so far that we can't um, we, they can't access their information. They can't access their providers, right? And so I, I think, you know, finding that sweet spot between the security and compliance and accessibility is is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we, there are some challenges, like you said, macro, micro, 
down to individual tech proficiency, right? Yeah. Um, it's especially if you're used to the old pen and paper writing charts. When I first started as a physical therapist in a hospital, we were writing mm-hmm. yeah. with written charts, which <laughs> also had its challenges if you didn't understand how people wrote. Yes, right. Sometimes people's penmanship was terrible. So <laughs> often. On, often. So <laughs> on that note, let's talk about the opportunities in implementing technology and how perhaps it could transform a healthcare practice. Yeah. You know, when you think of the example that you just said, you know, having to document by hand for each patient, for each interaction, for each encounter, same, same when I was a nurse starting Mm -hmm. out, you know, and writing my initials in a million boxes throughout a shift. Right. And so you know, while electronic health records have their own challenges, they, they're certainly by and large, if you compare them to paper charting much quicker, much more efficient. And in terms of what information we can get out of there, right? If, if you back in the day, if you did a chart audit, you had to do a chart audit, you had to take said chart and (laughs) read through the entire chart where now, you know, we can amass that data and and really tell a, a much more compelling picture if you're th- looking at a patient population that that you're caring for, right? How many patients in the last year are you know were patients that had this chronic condition and how controlled were they and how many visits did they have? And it gives us a lot of information, um, you know, when you think about like predictive analytics, even at that that you know baseline, you can start to tell a picture of this is how controlled this population is. And this seems to be the right amount of engagements, whether that's an in-person visit um, and, and going back to, you know, patient engagement, you know, how, how else to leverage the, the resources that you have on your team to support them when they're not in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so being able to have all of that data in a way that we can export it and process it and and look at it um, across a, a practice or a panel, however we want to look at it, is is really very exciting. Yeah, it can it can the data can definitely show the health of your practice, especially if you're a private practice, mm-hmm. right? Because you know sometimes we think I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, and you're like, oh wait a second, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I can kind of show the health of your practice from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. and. And like you said, it it can also show, are we overutilizing visits, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is this person, or here's this diagnosis, this is the average number of times our patients are being seen for that. And what does that mean, right? right? How right. can how can we improve our practice from a financial standpoint, improve our practice from a patient uh, satisfaction standpoint? And um and again, going back to the engagement, how can we improve all of that? And it's hard to improve things if you don't have the data to begin with. Absolutely. Right. You're making a lot of uh, generalizations and assumptions um, mm-hmm. without that data. I, yeah. I think the other thing, when you you think of patient engagement, one thing that I, uh, whenever we're talking to different practices that are, you know, anything larger than one provider mm-hmm. is, you know, really understanding the the, the different ways your organization might be interacting with that patient. And so the larger the organization, the trickier that becomes. And, you know, going back to patient experience, if I have somebody from four different areas of the practice trying to reach out to me 
to whether it's phone or text or email or all of the above sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. That has, as you can imagine, a profound, uh, profoundly negative impact on, on the patient experience. And so that that is also something to think about, you know, when you're saying like, what, what does successful patient engagement look like? The, you know, the, the frequency of that engagement and, and the, the overall number uh, of times you attempt to engage um, is, is really important in that equation. Yeah. And are there norms for patient engagement? Are there normative values? Yeah. You know what? It's, it's really not normalized across um healthcare as a whole. What we do know is that there are certain uh, patient populations. It's pretty obvious to say that different populations require different um, frequencies or different intensity of engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we're working with someone with um, you know, multiple comorbidities and they've had, uh, you know, several admissions over the last year and maybe based on their payer type, um, they might be someone that requires a little bit more intensive support mm-hmm. um, versus someone who um, has been pretty consistent in their 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 self care and their uh, preventative screenings or things like that. And so those are all things that factor into what is that right equation um, when we're making those recommendations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So like everything else in healthcare, it depends. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> it depends. Okay, so. You know, you've consulted with many different practices and you have helped practices kind of transform how they do things, right? Mm -hmm. So what are your top strategies? If there are any uh, healthcare providers listening, any healthcare practice owners listening, what strategies can you share with them in order to kind of transform their practice through technology to improve their patient interactions? Yeah, I, it's that's, that's a really important thing. And whenever we're working with a new practice, this is where we start. Um, this is really our foundational approach. Um, and it's something that I encourage every practice to to start there. Sometimes maybe we get a little ahead of ourselves. We get excited if we maybe see a, a value that isn't where we want, and we're gonna we're gonna call those patients right now, right? And stopping a little bit and just making a plan for, from this found foundational place is is really key to success and successful engagement. And so there's there's three key steps. The first is navigation. And so um, I always talk about the healthcare system is hard for us to navigate, and this is our business. And so when we talk about patients that maybe have language barriers or they, you know, the the healthcare system, you know, you hear certainly a lot about health literacy, it, it can be confusing and overwhelming. And so being very clear on the navigation is important. And so what I mean by that in this case is if I'm, if I'm outreaching to somebody, a patient, so if I'm building a uh, a program, we're very clear in what is the next thing we're asking them to do and how to do it. So for example, if we're asking them to come in for uh, a cancer screening, for example, we're saying, here's here's what to do to schedule that. Respond via text and we can help get scheduled. Call this number, click on this link to schedule. So being very uh, direct and clear, here's how to do what I'm asking you to do. So how to navigate them to that is, is really step one. Step two is education. In healthcare, we give so much education. We know certainly our patients can Google things. They can find a lot of information. What is the quality of that source? 
it Dr. can be tricky. Dr. Google can sometimes be wrong. Right. I mean, it does happen. Um, and so I think in this case, being um, very intentional about the, the, the volume of information we're providing. So uh, when I was still in a clinical role, I used to work in a, a procedural area and these patients had conscious sedation and now granted we're sending them home with their families, but we gave them an entire folder of information on how to care for their arterial site, how to, you know, manage their their cardiac risk factors and this whole bit of information. And I look back on it now and I think what a missed opportunity because we're sending them home with this whole novella of information, right? Instead of saying, here's what you need to do in the next 24, 48 hours. That's an acute right. period, right? You just have this procedure. Um, and so whenever you're thinking about outreach, you need to think about what is that, that one or two most important things to the patient, not it's time to come in for the screening or for your chronic care, but why does this matter to you? Right. And, and even if someone, um, is, you know, maybe it's a screening and they don't have any symptoms. That's a great opportunity to say, well, you might not have symptoms in early stages. That's why it's so important that we can get you screened today. Mm -hmm. That's why we're Mm -hmm. reaching out to you. Um, so, so being very succinct about education and that it should be something that's very consumable for the recipient. And so being mindful of health literacy and, and reading levels when you're developing that. And then the third is behavioral economics. And so behavioral economics is such a really um, fun and interesting segment of psychology, but really it's just looking at why uh, a person does something or not. And so by using, by building behavioral economics into that that, uh, foundation, you're thinking about the specifics of a population and what are some some barriers they might be encountering. So we work with a lot of federally qualified health centers who serve um, really complex patient populations often, mm-hmm. right? It can be a very high Medicaid um, populations. Maybe they have a lot of different uh, barriers to even accessing care. And so knowing those are some of the known barriers or challenges that they're facing day to day, then how can we proactively know that that's uh, potentially a barrier and then um, build that into the messaging. And so knowing the population, knowing the audience is really important, as well as that navigation and um, very succinct education. Yeah. And uh, so to recap, navigation, education, behavioral economics. Correct. You want to look at all of those as strategies. And how can technology play a role there, right? So talk a little bit about the solutions that provider tech, and we'll get into, uh, well, we'll get into provider tech. Well, let's get into it now. So what does provider tech do to help with those strategies? Yeah. So we are um, a healthcare technology company and we use technology to scale communication. Um, And that's, uh, I'm making that distinction on purpose. So we don't use technology to solve the problem. We work with our clients to understand what is the problem that they want to solve. Um, And we use some of the the foundational strategy that I just described. 
And then we use technology only to scale that. So we're very uh, clear to help them define the problem, define the, the priorities and the objectives. And we do that by having people that have worked in healthcare. And so we have people that have clinical backgrounds, um, both, um, you know, in acute care and ambulatory care, um, really have experience working uh, in public health. So understanding different populations and, and what are those challenges that some of those unique populations might face? So our, our secret sauce is the, the, the people that's part of our team. Um, and then we use technology to really scale that across the population. And what does that look like from a tech standpoint? So let's say I'm coming to you, I'm a practice owner, and I I need help to scale my communication. Right now, I just send out an email every once in a while just yeah. to check in, right? So that's, my, that's what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. But I want to in- keep my patients engaged so that they know that they can come back to me if they have a problem. I'm top of mind. They can refer me, you know, all the fun stuff that we want our patients Mm -hmm. to do. And we want our patients to feel heard and cared for, right? Mm -hmm. So if I come to you, this is my case study. What is provider tech? What can they do for me? So what we're going to do is we're going to work with you to, to pull from your electronic health record, a segment of your population. And we're going to give you ideas on how to best define that. And so the more specific you can be with that population, the more specific you can be with the messaging and thus uh, more likely engagement, right? If you send something to all patients that you've seen in the last three years, that's a pretty general message. Mm-hmm. So we might say, um, let's build a, um, a segment of your population that you've seen in the last 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, depending on the, the type of practice. And then we're going to target specific groups of patients. So. Um, it might be in, in your scenario, it might be patients that came to you that had a, a recent injury, or you might even say a certain type of, uh, right, maybe they had shoulder pain, I don't know, sure. something like that. Um, and, and now you're reaching out to them. And, you know, maybe you're giving you're giving them something, you might be saying, like, checking back in, um, you know, I want to remind you that, you know, these are really great um, exercises for you to do. I mean, obviously, um, it's it's going to be you know very patient to patient, but you might send something general and you know just remember that when we uh, you know whenever you have questions, you can reach back out to us. But being specific about the the audience is the best way to get engagement. You know, if if you send something out and um, it just says oh, call us if you need something, they're like oh well, what might I need? Whereas mm-hmm. if you say hey, you know remember these extra continuing these exercises are going to be really important to your success. Oh yeah, yeah. We did talk about that. I did feel better when I was doing those. So it's it's little things like that that um, help uh, patients be reminded of a practice. And then the other piece is how easily can they reach you? And so making it really easy for those patients to reconnect to somebody on your team um, is is another really uh, important piece that they have to call into a large practice and. They're sitting in a long call queue. They're most likely going to disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thinking about even the timing of those messages, most practices are busiest on a Monday, right? So you're not going to send those messages out on a Monday because you don't want them to be in that call queue, right? When is a time where maybe the call volume is a little bit more manageable and you might time the messages around that? Got it. Got it. And so 
provider tech sends out these messages or Correct. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So we cool. send them out on our client's behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, it looks like it's coming from the client. So they would recognize, you know, their, their provider's name or the Mm -hmm. practice name. Um, if there is something, um, generally the message is just that a message. Sometimes if it's something that requires, um, a bit more information, there are, um, some, um, some regulations around the length of messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, It's governed by the TCPA or Telephone Consumer Protection Act. Um, I won't go really into it because it's pretty dry, Uh, but it governs the length and the frequency of messaging. And so um, if there's something that perhaps you need to send out um, instructions before or after a procedure, that is going to be more than 160 right, characters, right. right? In which case you might um, embed a, a, a link into that message and letting patients know they can access it by clicking on that link. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's it sounds like you can make technology a little bit more personal. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Um, now, what, you know, like I said, you've worked with a lot of different practices, right? Are Have you seen any commonalities with practices and their sort of lack of implementation of technology and of tech tools and what the reason might be for not implementing them? Because I'm sure there's people listening who are like, well, I can't do this, but maybe if you have seen some uh, commonalities and practices, people won't feel so alone and they'll be more likely to to engage in the tech. Yeah, it, absolutely. We see it all the time. Um, oftentimes, uh, a really common thing we hear is electronic health records, the EHR that they have, they say, oh, it's fine. Our EHR does that, right? We we can do that directly from our EHR. And, and while EHRs, certainly do have a wide array of functionality. Um, this is the, the area of specialty that we work in. So we have a lot more depth and breadth in, in what we can provide. We also have a lot more flexibility, right? We can um, make those recommendations to just like the example I just gave, you might want to send that out on a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday morning based on your call volume. Um, and we have the not only the the knowledge to provide that guidance, but also the tools to to set that up um, so they are running in the way that makes the most sense for your practice. And so um, I, I think it's important for people to know that yes, while they should explore what their electronic health record can offer, if they feel like it's not working, that's a really common experience. Um, and they might need something that is a little bit more uh, targeted towards you know, whatever that objective is, in this case, patient engagement. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking that. What do you say to the uh, practice or the healthcare facility that says, I can't, I can't deal with one more piece of technology, right? I'm sure that's got to be a common theme, right? So how do you respond to that? Yeah, uh, I'm I, I'm laughing not because I think it's funny, but because uh, having been in a healthcare setting, I understand that feeling of I can't, I literally can't just take on one more thing, and so that is also part of the our solution. And so oftentimes people come to us because they need help with patient engagement, but even just the idea of um, you know how do I set this up? How do I 
build the population? How do I decide what's the right messaging, the right frequency, and on and on. So we our solution is comprehensive enough that we've already built a lot of that out for our clients. And so, for example, we have a message library that um, our users can go in and say, show me all the messages that I might send to my diabetic patients. Um, filter that by Medicare um, payer type. And they're going to find the messages that are most targeted towards those audiences. Um, they can then say, this message is great. I want to use it exactly as is, or you know what? I know my patient population and I'd like to make some edits. Mm-hmm. It's always easier to start with a template and always. edit it than it is to create it. Um, and so we build a lot of things like that into our solution itself to make it easier because we understand that we, we came from healthcare too, and we know, um, day to day how, um, how that can wear you down. And so yeah. we work to make not only that implementation, but then ongoing as easy as possible. Yeah. That's fabulous. I love a good template. <laughs> right. Love, Who doesn't? I love it. I love a good <laughs> template. If I can copy paste and tweak a little bit, I am exactly. I not be happier. I right. love it. Now that's a great, that's a great offering because the last thing you want to think about at the end of the day is like, what am I going to put in this email? Right. Right. Ah, Exactly. My brain is already full. Right. And then when you start thinking about the, you know, the regulations about, um, you know, how long the message can be, well, how do I fit all of this into 160 characters or do I have any other options? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so we, you know, we oftentimes when we're working with a practice, we'll have like their marketing team, they'll come up with great ideas. They sound great, but I'm like, well, that's like actually four times as long as it's allowed to be. So we're going to give you some recommendations. And they're like, right. oh, okay, right? Um, right, because they weren't as familiar with TCPA and, and how to navigate right. that. Right, right. So you've got the rules, you've got the laws, you're sticking to it and educating practices on that as well, which is, which is yes. great. Um, yes. Now, as we start to wrap things up, can you discuss um, some maybe new trends or technologies that could impact patient engagement, public health initiatives moving forward? What are you seeing? Yeah, you know, I, I think the the things that are worth mentioning are some of the things that I've already touched on a little bit, but, um, but I'll bring them back here and maybe provide mm-hmm. some examples of what that looks like. Perfect. It goes back to making it very easy for people to do whatever we're asking them to do. So we have worked with uh, Maricopa County. um, So we're based in the Phoenix area. Maricopa Mm -hmm. County is, a, uh, I think, the largest county in Arizona. Um, And we have worked with our county health department to um, engage uh, populations that um, had questions about uh, the COVID vaccine. And Mm -hmm. they, Mm -hmm. they maybe didn't have access to direct information, or maybe they had access to misinformation. And so what we did is we used technology to um, do outreach to them. And because around the time we launched the project, it was about two and a half years ago. um, It was, as you maybe remember, a very heated time. Most people Mm -hmm. had very strong feelings one way or another. And so we used the technology in a way to, these were patients that were already established at, at the practices that were part of this project. And so we use this technology to outreach to them about other things. 
So it's time to come back in for this wellness visit. It's time to come back in for this chronic disease care. And once that patient was engaged, then um, their teams used our technology to say, oh, it seems like um, you haven't completed your, uh, your vaccine series. I can help you get scheduled for that as well. And so patients, some said, okay, and they were able to schedule them. Some said, no, I'm not ready, or I have more questions. And we're able to use some of those templated tools that I've already referenced Mm -hmm. to say, oh, no problem. You know what? Here's some information. You can review this. And so it was easy for patients to access that. And then if they said, um, I have more questions, they could reach back out, you know, via that direct thread. And so I think that's really important when you think about how hard it is to get to the right person in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, So we made it really, we took that out as a barrier. Um, We also, if they changed their mind or, you know, they, they needed more information, they could at any time say, I'm ready to schedule now. Um, Patients were, were so happy to be able to, to, you know, have that that trusted source, because it was already mm-hmm. their provider organization, you know, to be that source of information and ask, answer any questions they had, uh, but also to make it easy to schedule, you know, uh, quite simply the, you know, sitting on hold and 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 waiting for uh, an yeah. appointment might be what talks you out of following through with that. And maybe you plan to call back the next day, but do you or do you not? Um, so, so I think the, you know, whether you're talking about a project like that, you're talking about value-based care, Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about really, you know, anything where patient engagement is, is step one, making it easy, um, for patients to access it is you have, that has to be part of the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, if people want to find out more about provider tech, where can they find out more information? Yes, absolutely. So um, they can email me directly. Um, and my email is just my name, lisa.blue at providertech.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Lisa Blue. And that has um, certainly they can connect with me directly. Um, and it would link right back to provider tech. I have information about um, our team and some of our projects right on my LinkedIn profile. Excellent. And we'll have direct links to that in the show notes. So whatever podcast platform you are listening to, or if you're watching us on YouTube right now, you can go to the show notes and uh, one click, see, we make it easy. One click will take you to all of those resources. So what are the the, um, big takeaways that you want our listeners to remember from our conversation? I think... um, you know, remembering that the the most simple way to do something, you know, whether and and that's for everybody involved, not just for the patient. Um, we we can't be asking our 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 providers and their teams to be doing something that's really complicated. And also, if we're decision makers and organization, we can't expect that if we have a clunky patient portal or or something like that, that patients are going to engage with it. And so I think, um, you know, remembering that um, this can be overwhelming for both the patients and the users um, and, and, you know, sort of doing that simplicity test whenever you're looking at um, something, uh, a, a potential solution, whether it's part of your HR or something else. I think the other thing that's really important in terms of takeaways is to, if if you're working as part of a quality improvement team, um, and it's and maybe you are looking for vendors, it's really important to ask a lot of questions about 
how do they, not only the implementation, certainly that's important, but how do they work with you and partner with you ongoing? Um, we, you know, I always talk about, we've all seen this, this very, you know, sexy demo that we're like, oh, that looks fantastic. I would love to have that. Um, and then you get it and it doesn't even look familiar. You're like, wait, what is this? What we, is this what we saw? I, I don't remember it being like this. And so, um, so that, that um that model of support ongoing is is really important it doesn't always exist in technology companies i think i think a lot are getting smarter but i think that's an important question to ask when you're looking for a partner in this work great excellent takeaways well i thank you so much lisa and i have one more question and it's one that i ask everyone that comes on to the podcast and that's knowing where you are now in your life and in, in your career, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Hmm. So I would think you're in nursing school, maybe yeah. you just graduated. I don't want to make any so you could have gone to nursing school at 15. I don't know. <laughs> um, but what advice would you give to that younger self? You know, I, I think I would um, be open to what um, what. It, what is possible. Um, I think a lot of times our younger selves or even our older selves make sweeping declarations about what mm -hmm. we're never going to do. Um, and that is often, you know, you find yourself eating those words. You know, I, I talked yep. my, my younger self said things like, Oh, I'll never, I'll never be in management. I'll never uh, be, a, you know, a teacher. And I've done all of those things. And so I think um, just being open to where you are right now and knowing that you can't even anticipate what's to come um, and being uh, open to that, the ride is, is probably the advice I'd give to my young self. Excellent. Excellent advice. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. And just uh, if, again, if people want more information on provider tech, you can go to providertech.com. Um, Lisa generously gave us her email lisa.blue at providertech.com. And again, we'll have all the links from today's program in the show notes on whatever it is you are watching or listening to on any platform. They're there. So Lisa, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to speak with you. And everyone, uh, thanks for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.